0: Over the weekend, I came to the conclusion that I'm to blame for January 6th and the cultural rot swallowing America. And so are you. Yes, you. We did this. I may be the worst offender, but you played a role too. My disdain for politicians caused me to disassociate myself from politics altogether. I smugly sat on the sideline and laughed as Democrats and Republicans sold out the American people by auctioning themselves to the highest bidder. I regret that, but you sat on the sideline too. I'm talking about those of you who claim a relationship with Jesus Christ. You voted, you may have even volunteered and campaigned, but you waved the flag of false gods, Obama and Trump. This idolatry culminated on January 6th when we allowed well-meaning patriots to descend on the Capitol in the name of Donald Trump rather than the name of Jesus. I had this epiphany Sunday when I watched a sermon from Bishop E.W. Jackson. I'll explain today on Fearless. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Thank you for joining me. Happy Tuesday uh, to you and yours. It's the day after Monday. It's the day before hump day. It is Tuesday, and man, do we have a great show planned for you. Despite an in-studio guest who just barged onto the show, uh, uninvited, Uh, we, we swore up and down we'd never have him back. I'm Uh, back. But here's Troy McSwain uh, in studio with me today. Troy, uh, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Good Good to to have you.
1: me to to be on the show.
0: Well, I don't know if I'm allowing you to be on this show. You showed up, and I had to go to work, so uh, I'm going to take Troy to work today. Uh, (laughs) No, on a serious note, for those of you uh, that have forgotten or don't remember, uh, Troy, longtime friend of mine, Troy. Uh, maker of all the oversized clothes that I used to wear. Uh, Troy, <laughs> Troy, a tailor to the stars and to people like myself, we're at regular working Joes. But Troy's been a friend of mine for 25 plus years. Uh, I, I think we met through Derek Thomas when I was working in Kansas City and uh, have been friends ever since. And uh, if you remember, I think last time Troy was here on the show, TJ Moe was in town. Yep. And uh, Troy added a lot of flavor uh, to the show. Uh, when you got back home, everything good with you and your wife? Oh, I mean, everything's great. She, I don't she,
1: think she watched the show. She didn't watch the
0: show? I don't oh, think she you did. told me. You, you asked her not <laughs>
1: to watch the show. <laughs> no, but I mean, I sent her the clip. And my son's watched it, but she never commented on it, so I, I'm assuming she didn't watch it. Oh, all right. And but that's why she you was got gonna to have, come back. She was going to have words for you, not for me. You're the, you the one that asked if she wore a weave and a wig and all that.
0: <laughs> I didn't ask about her, but it he, Guilt yes, by association?
1: No, I didn't. You said, does
0: your wife wear a wig? Did I? Yes. Oh well, I'll <laughs> never forget that because I was like, "Ooh!" I was just <laughs> he I'm, I'm, below the belt. That question was not. If I asked it, it wasn't nearly as negative as uh, you portrayed it to be. But anyway, uh, Troy's going to be here with me all day today, uh, and it's just going to be me, you, and Troy as I try to unpack a very big topic. This will be similar to last week, except Troy's going to be here and respond uh, to some of it, if if not all of it. But I want to start by unpacking, because I'm going to get to E.W. Jackson and the sermon I saw this weekend. But I want to first explain, you know, where we're at as a culture and how I arrived at the conclusions that I did, that I mentioned in in the cold open and, and the bigger, broader discussion about. What are we compelled to do? If if you're someone like me that believes we're living in a very, very fallen culture, a culture that is rotting right before our eyes, what are we compelled to do as Christians, as American citizens, as fans of this show, as volunteer members of the Fearless Army? As What are we compelled to do even if you're a non-believer but you recognize like, America's culture is in decay. We're, we're descending, and again, I, I like to talk about uh, this Lord of the Flies era that we're in. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, and, and I keep coming back to uh, that America has turned into a real life version of Lord of the Flies. And so <clears throat> I want to start by just reciting and pointing out some more recent examples of this culture that I keep talking about that, that we're in. And, and, and it's in everybody's face. Everybody feels less safe. Everybody can see that there seems to be no respect for authority and law and order. And so I, I just want to give a little bit of backing up. So it's just not me talking, but uh, there's a video that's been circulating over social media the past 24 hours, 36 hours, of some teenagers brawling in a subway station uh, with New York City police officers. And uh, this teenager, uh, who's, I th- again, they said a year ago, I think he got arrested for carrying a gun. Uh, they didn't keep him very long at all, maybe, maybe not even overnight, uh, for carrying a gun and so here he is a year later given all the business he can to a New York City cop who had who I according to news reports had asked this teen and his girlfriend uh, to leave the subway station and subway area because they had not paid for their fare or whatever and and <clears throat> this video of him brawling with the cops it is, is everywhere. Troy, you and I watched it uh, this morning and and had a, a bit of discussion about it and, and just how crazy things have gotten. There's so little respect for law enforcement. And law enforcement, to me, this is my opinion, I'm, I don't want to put this on Troy, is so handcuffed right now that they can't respond the way, you know, I, you pull out a baton and crack him over the head, oh, that's police brutality. You pull out a taser and shoot him with a taser, oh, that's police brutality. You pull out your gun, you may be going to jail. There's certainly gonna be protests. Uh, and so a cop is left to fight with a teenager and uh, doesn't seem to have much backup there. I think there was a female cop with him, but she was wrestling with the guy's girlfriend. And so everybody had their hands full and Again, New York is the land of lawlessness.
1: Yeah, but I think that, Jason, I think that part of the problem is that you just, the parents, I mean, the upbringing, we, we can't beat our kids and you can't whoop the kids. <laughs> I'm sorry, beat. You can't spank a kid anymore without going, yourself going to jail as a parent. So I don't think the, the police have their handcuffs, their hands tied. I think the parents have their hands tied. And that's what's caused. It's just like a domino effect, and it's caused a, a problem with society. Just because these kids are running amok, and then social media doesn't help it. Because, I mean, he's he's probably proud about how he threw that cop around. He's probably posting it and throwing up, you know, gang signs and you know, hooping and hollering about how he got that cop. I
0: I, I love your point, and because this goes along with the lack of respect for authority, and that starts with handcuffing parents and again we're not I'm not here championing beating your kids. I will say I had my ass beat as a kid and I don't regret any of it. I I, I I, really don't. I got spanked with a belt as a kid. My brother did not and you know why he didn't? Because he was very well behaved. I was not well behaved. I needed to be spanked, Now that's my 55-year-old opinion, and we've moved in this society where you can't, because some people go too far. My parents weren't Adrian Peterson. They didn't leave me with welts and things like that, but they tried. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I, I, I agree with you that the first people to get handcuffed are parents, and I would take that even a step further and say that all the great society initiatives Right. Uh, the handcuff parents as well because these great society initiatives, all oh, the government check can replace mom and dad or a father in the home. And so authority, the natural order has been disturbed and we're seeing it spill out uh, in the behavior of our kids. I, I wanna give you another example of this cultural rot that we're talking about and this one here I have two or three different opinions about, but there's a bishop in New York, a bishop, a minister, who was robbed at gunpoint while preaching in the pulpit on Sunday. Let's
2: play that video. How many of you have lost your faith because you saw somebody else die, what you about to go through? Yo, all right, right, right. right, right. I seen three to four men come in. I said, all right, all right, right. It's pretty much stating that I don't want, I'm not going to do anything, right? Cause I know y'all coming for me. Y'all coming straight to me. I don't want my parishioners hurt, right? I got um, women and children there. As I got down, one went to my wife and took all her jewelry and um, and had the gun in front of my eight-month-old baby's face. Um, took off my bishop's ring, my, um, my wedding band, and took off my bishop's chain, and then I had chains underneath my robe. Um, and um, he started tapping my neck to see if anything else, so that means they knew, they, they watched and they knew that I have other jury.
3: The church's live stream shows the gun being held on the pastor.
2: They had the guns on, the, on my deacons that was at the door.
3: Whitehead says what you don't see on camera are around 100 congregants who were in the room. Men, women, and children dropped to the floor in silence.
2: My church is traumatized. The women and children are still crying. Still crying, babies are still crying. These men, they need to turn themselves in. I forgive you, and I'm praying for you. You know, and I hope that God deliver you from the mindset of who you are at this time.
3: Whitehead believes his family was targeted
0: because of the publicity he received when he helped turn in the suspect wanted in the fatal subway
3: shooting of 48 year old Daniel Enriquez in May.
2: I turned them in, but the media called me the bling bling bishop. They had my. Rolls Royce car all over everywhere and I feel that that played a part in this I think all pastors should be uh, be able to get permits for pistols
0: I got a couple of different thoughts on this the bling bling minister I I, I don't like that that's a little too flashy for me and particularly uh, I don't know what zip code he's in but the flaunting of wealth, and again, I'm not justifying the behavior of these criminals, but the flaunting of wealth in front of poor people, I find uh, immoral and uncalled for. And, and, and I'm someone who used to flaunt and, and used to be up to date on all the best jewelry uh that 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 you could have i used to look kind of like how troy looks right now Uh, (laughs) iced out and uh i'm not i'm i gotta say i'm not a big fan of that troy at at this at this and and again i used to be young and i used to be dumb and i used to do dumb things but if you're a minister and you're the bling bling minister and you're driving a rolls royce and all this other stuff First thing, I watched that video and saw that and saw how calm he was and how calm there was a guy sitting in the background, how calm that person was. They're not surprised. And it makes me think that the minister is about that life. Because if, if I, I think they say there was like a million dollars worth of jury between the minister and his wife. There was a million dollars worth of jury between the two of them.
1: I think if, the minister's crazy for saying, uh, I want them gentlemen to turn themselves in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for what? <laughs> for robbing him is what he said. But
1: I mean nothing's gonna happen to him. That's the problem. Nothing's gonna happen to those kid those young men that went in there and robbed him. They'll
0: get a slap on the wrist. That's an issue and particularly okay. in, in, in New York where we saw uh, what we saw a man at a bodega defend himself. He's getting assaulted by a young man. I don't know if you saw this case. He's getting assaulted by a young man. He stabbed the dude. The dude died. They tried to yeah. charge the dude with murder, right? there's a level of respect that the criminal justice system is demanding that we have for criminals. And all the sympathy seems to be going the criminal's direction, not the victim's direction. And, and so, but I'm just saying, for people to have the audacity to go in a church and rob a minister at gunpoint it's terrible, it speaks to the cultural rot, but I also think for a minister in a working class or and or poor community to be the bling bling minister and to show up to church with a million dollars worth of jewelry between he and his wife, I find that reprehensible and immoral and he's waving a big sign around, somebody come take this from me. Uh, 20
1: years ago, my wife used to tell me, baby, you're going to come home off of one of these trips and me and the kids are going to be tied up because I, I was even flasher than this. I had a Rolex watch with 27 carats of diamonds in it. I couldn't even tell time on it. It had so much bling on it. Couldn't you? It just was a big diamond bracelet. And they were waiting for me to come home one day at my house, pulled out laser guns. There was four guys waiting in bushes. And uh, they got me right outside my front door, and they
0: robbed me. Got me for about hundred thousand dollars worth of jewelry. So this is toned down, but Troy, I've known you for a long time. That looks like standard operating procedure, Troy, to me.
1: Nah, this is this is this is my wedding ring. It's my fraternity ring, so everybody knows I'm in my frat. And this is my logo for my company. All discussion pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you trying to have discussions with? Well, my, my frat brothers will notice this. Yeah. Women will know I'm married, very married. And then this, people always ask me with the Roman number two, they ask me if I'm a Leo or a Libra or something, they, whatever it is, cancer or something, I don't know. But they always ask me if I'm a Pisces. They say, are you a Pisces? I'm like, no. All
0: right, <laughs> and, they, and so I think you just told the story about getting robbed outside your house. Right. You were telling me earlier, your restaurants have been robbed. Dropped. Twice in five weeks, but
1: and it's weird because the guys, we have them on camera, we have them on camera outside, we have the license plate of their car, and the police told me there's nothing they can do. They said, unless, unless we catch them walking out with something in their hand, that's the only way we can arrest them. And even if we do arrest them, they go to, at 4 o'clock in the morning, they go to jail, by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, they're out with a ticket, a notice to appear. So it's like it's
0: nothing. This is California California, living. right. Yeah, this yeah. is California. California. Smash and grab capital of the world. You've just been smash and grab. Right. Yeah. Twice in five weeks. Yeah, and so at some point, you're going to have to uh, get up out of California or realize California is a dystopian society. I want to play this. I want to play another. This is California-centric here. This next clip, I, again, about this fallen culture that we're immersed in right now. There's a woman whose adopted son has just been murdered in Los Angeles. She gives an interview to KTLA. Watch this.
3: It's the weekend, and I don't know. I can't speak for everybody else, but I'm from Santana Block yeah. Crip,
2: so it's gonna do what it do. Well, I hope your adopted son is okay, that you're yeah, able to get a hold of
1: I him. Yeah, but I heard that he passed.
2: Yeah. Hopefully that's not true but it is. I'm so sorry. I'm
0: from Santana Block <laughs> Crips and I better I got I got better be careful what Santana Block Crip may be watching this show and be mad at me. But the acceptance of the violence and how normalized it's become. She could we're used to seeing mothers, and again, I know she's saying adopted mother, but we're used to seeing mothers fall out in the street, crying and in tears. This woman is actually expressing a little bit of pride. It's like her son died in a foreign war or in some heroic war going on, and, and you know it's gonna do what it do, and he... It, th- and yeah, Troy, yeah, your, you she, grew up in, in,
1: a, in a crip neighborhood. Yes, very much. So. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm very familiar with that. I mean, Is that the mentality? She's really into the life. OK, yeah. but but, Jason, she was more worried about doing an interview than at the hospital praying over her son's. Well, he's dead. Know. She
0: heard he's dead. He's <laughs> but she dead. heard he
1: was dead. She <laughs> should have been there. She shouldn't have been on the street giving an interview. She more worried about giving the, the interview to, to,
0: to show her her affiliations. Again, you're a little bit older than me. You saw the, you were at the very beginning of this gang culture that has taken over and been normalized. It, it is, is the mentality of that woman, is that reflective of the culture you remember as a kid where the mothers and the parents in the community just accepted that they were Santana block Crips. I'm gonna
1: use this example. Last week was my anniversary. My wife tried to buy me some red tennis shoes. I told her I'm not wearing red, baby. I don't care, I just, because growing up, I couldn't wear red. So it's still in the back of my mind that I won't wear red. I won't, you'll never see me in all red or a, a, bright, a red shirt like you got on. I would never have it on. Never. Ever. Just because you like, you'd walk down the wrong street, and you'll like probably get shot at. And I still have my, my parents' house. is still in the same neighborhood I grew up in. Still have that same house, so I won't go over there. I won't drive a red car. I won't buy a red car because you get shot up on the freeway driving through the wrong street. So it's just different. It's, the California is different. But I mean, it's, they have the gangs in Little Rock, Arkansas, the Crips and the Bloods. So they're, they're nationwide expanded. now. Right. Yeah, they've expanded to a serious, serious culture. You know, so um, now I, I know I lived that, I've, I've never lived that
0: life, but I've lived around that life. And it's, it's still very serious. And then, so how does that, and again, you've explained how it still impacts you to this day, but how does, as a kid growing up in that environment, how does that impact your worldview or e- even just your relationship? I'm Just keep it real. With, like with other black people, when you grow up in an environment that violent, where it's that accepted, how does that impact your worldview? Well,
1: in some ways it can help and in some ways it can be a deficit because when people know where I grew up at, they look at me differently. They're like, OK, he's got some street smarts about him because I came out of the hood. But I wasn't a gangbanger or anything, because I played football. I I use a lot of people, and that's why a lot of uh, black people excel in sports, because most African Americans that are good in sports excel in sports because they don't want to get caught up in the gang life. So sports, after you get out of school, you got practice every day. So that kept me out of the, the streets and going home. I didn't have to go home and deal with the violence and the gangs and the this and the that. So I was able to to play football till six or seven o'clock at night by the time it gets dark, you know I' go in the house and do my eat dinner and do my homework so I wasn't in the street so it actually i think it it you know so i my my sports kept me away from sports keeps kept me away from the gang life. not saying I would have been in the gang life, but it would have it would have crossed my path a lot more often but I mean it was nothing for my parents to wake us up in the middle of the night. And be like crawl on the floor and crawl in the in the family room because there was you know bullets flying out in front of the street you know up and down the street so i've i've had that happen a few times you know as a kid so yes it does it definitely affects you and it's definitely there in the back of your mind for for all you know for for my whole life like now believe it or not i carry i carry a concealed weapon when i'm at home in california i went and got my concealed weapon permit so i can carry it legally because I was carrying it illegally. So now I carry legally so that if I do shoot somebody or if somebody does come to rob me, I can defend myself. And so you know, so just it and so I'm not as afraid of guns as you probably would be because I don't think I don't think I've ever seen you shoot a gun or even been around a gun. So you would probably so I'm more familiar with gun violence or shooting people or shooting at people than you would be.
0: Uh I want to play one more thing, and, and this wasn't pre-planned. You know, I, I knew there was a chance Troy was coming with this conversation I was having today and these examples I was giving today. I wasn't thinking about Troy when I was coming up with this, but, but this next one <laughs> uh, is right up your alley as well, because Troy, again, I've said, connected to every athlete of my generation and age over the last 30, 40 years, and, and this next athlete, we used to go to his fights, and Troy used to make the clothes for everybody when they walked into the ring. Uh, but here's Mike Tyson talking to uh, Saturday Night Live's Keenan Thompson about the N-word. Okay, me, me. Right. Mike, if I'm not a I'm nothing. Not true.
1: No, no, it's true if I believe it's true. Yeah, but you shouldn't No, no, believe no, no. That. You can't control the way I think. I'm not trying to. Then don't talk about it. That's what it is. If, if, I don't, brother, if I'm not a I'm nothing. So don't tell me I'm not. Why would you do that? Are think you a that? sign? Because it is. It's that way. It's that way. It is. I don't know why, but it's that way.
0: I'm playing that clip because I think Mike's mentality is reflective of a lot of black men and I wouldn't even put this on younger black men. Uh, I, I I would put it on just black men and black people in general. I've seen people. I, I've seen again. I got a lot. I like and have a lot of respect for Mike Wilbon. But I've seen Mike Wilbon basically say the exact same thing about the N word and how much pride he has in it and how it's our word. And and again, you and I, Troy, watched a bit more of an extended part of that interview. Tyson and sitting around with three comedians, they're all smoking weed, they <coughs> seem to be high, uh, and, and Keen Thompson is disagreeing with Mike about the N-word or whatever, but it, it, it's just, this is a fallen culture, man. This is a culture in complete decay and we all want to sit around and act like it's not but it is well even them sitting there
1: in that stu- the setting that they had was showed the ca- showed you know b- this paraphernalia and different things drug paraphernalia mike had a joint in his hand i mean that whole thing was just a bad look for african-americans as a whole you know for them to be doing that show and and not care about what 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 kids are going to see or what people are going to see and what people are going to think is just bad.
0: So when we were talking earlier, you were trying to convince, because obviously I've been around Mike, but not in a real way, press conferences, things like that. Right. But you've been around Mike. Oh, before
1: I saw the clip, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but you've been around <laughs> Mike in a real way, and you're convinced that Mike is extremely intelligent. He's high. He is one of the most
1: I told Jason earlier today in the car driving over here I said, my I would love to have you and Mike in a car talking to each other because he could actually have a highly intellectual conversation with you and you'd be amazed at the what you guys could talk about and, and Jason was like, yeah, he had three years to sit down and read and I'm like yeah, <laughs> but he was reading before that I mean he I've met with him he's he watches he watches movies all day long he watches old movie Casablanca movies and just he's just an, a very eclectic person. He's just different, you know. He's a different being, and um, I just think that sometimes, like he was sitting there on that show, and I was like, as soon as I saw the clip, I said, even before I saw the joint in his hand, I said he's high. I could look at his eyes and say he's high. That's why he's saying that. And then I said, and then I saw the joint, and I was like, and then Keenan's sitting there with those dark glasses on. I'm like, he probably said, over no, they're high, too. <laughs> you know? So it just was, it just, it's just a bad look, you know? And that's what I'm saying, so yes. But it shows like that that pe- these kids identify with and want to emulate, and that's what decays, you know, which causes, which causes the decay to be worse. And, and them trying to emulate these, these athletes and these stars
0: that are doing all this stuff. So I'm getting a bit of a confusing message and I'm, I'm so I'm just keep this rolling. EW Jackson we're still 45 minutes away from having him. He's, he's not coming up next correct. My, I was told 1:15 is, is is what I was told. So we're, we're not about to go to EW Jackson but I am going to transition to uh, a conversation about Bishop EW Jackson and what has made me reach a completely different conclusion about what we should be doing as it relates to this fallen culture. And so uh, TJ Moe this weekend sent me a video, a sermon uh, from a church, I may have been down in Texas. It's called Karis Church, I believe. I believe the minister down there is uh, Andrew Womack, I believe. And and Bishop E.W. Jackson was a visitor there to speak. And and he gave an hour-long sermon that was one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. And it touched me and it made me have to deal with the fact that uh, I have not behave properly as it relates to engaging with the culture and as it relates to uh, trying to improve this culture. I've distanced myself and disassociated myself. I've never voted. I've never wanted to participate in politics. I have complete disdain for politics and politicians. And so I just ignored it. And, and just say, I'm gonna do my thing, I got my set of values, I'm, going to, I'm not gonna look for political solutions to spiritual problems, that's the way I've always operated, that's what I've preached to everybody else, is quit looking for government politicians to fix any of these problems. What I've come to understand is that, as a believer, that by ignoring politics, I've left politics to people with no spiritual foundation, no spiritual integrity, no moral integrity, no backbone. And, and I look and I see what happened on January the 6th and anybody that's listening to me talk knows I got no problem with Trump supporters. Anybody that listens to me knows that I get why Trump supporters were angry and went to the Capitol about the election the election felt fraudulent. And uh, the, 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 there's a group of people, Trump supporters, that have all been demonized and told they're the worst people on the planet and they're what's wrong with America. And that group of people sat and watched, particularly over the summer of 2020, but really over the past decade, they sat and watched. Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and and all George Floyd lovers, they watched in 2020, but over the last seven, eight years, they watched people riot, loot, burn down cities, kill police officers, kill other citizens, and nothing happened. They watched people like Kamala Harris and LeBron James post bail money, do bail drives for people that were destroying America. And and they watched the whole corporate media establishment say, well, that's the voice of the unheard. They're justified for burning down buildings, for killing police officers, whatever their response is, for looting or whatever, that's unpaid reparations. Let them burn down business, let them destroy lives. They watched all that and they just got angrier and angrier and angrier. And so they went to Washington DC to express their anger. <clears throat> My problem with the January 6th people and, and the MAGA crowd, is it's they're they're flying the wrong flag. They're flying Trump flags. They're they're to some degree, and not that I have a problem with it, I don't mind flying the American flag. I get why they're doing it and have no problem with it. But again, the only way to defeat the poison that's been let loose in America is to fly the Jesus flag. And and Nobody knows uh, any better than Troy what a sinner I have been. And I, I don't uh, make excuses. I don't run from that. I don't hide from that. Uh, you know, Troy knows a, a different me than he knows all, but this is like a different version of me then when me and Troy first met and were friends with Derek Thomas and and uh, you know that our connection and, and friendship was traveling around the country having fun I'll just leave it at that uh, and, thank you and, <laughs> I'll leave it at that and and but I reached the conclusion because this was always a part of me. This part of me that I present myself on this show and talk about my faith was always a part of me. And what I didn't feel was that my faith compelled me to get involved. And, and after watching this sermon by E.W. Jackson, I can no longer hide and be a coward and not get involved. And, and that's what I felt like, we as Christians, where we've let down is we've let political people, political idolaters, we've allowed people that worship Obama and Trump to take control of the conversation about what America should do. And those of us who are believers should be flying our Christian flag and and letting Jesus Christ determine what it is America should do. And and what E.W. Jackson did, and we're gonna have E.W. on the show, What he did was break down how uh, this country was founded by people who were flawed and participated in the sins of their era and time. The subjugation of man was a global phenomenon not unique to America at the time of this founding uh, of this country. Everybody in the world, everybody throughout history, men were conquerors and subjugators. That's what we did. And so people said, oh, we took this land from the Native Americans. That's what people did in that time. They conquered. That was not unique to the pilgrims who settled here in America. That was commonplace, no different then it's commonplace for people to hit a drive through fast, uh, a fast food drive through window. That's what people did do during this time. People back then discovered new land, discovered new land and subjugated the people that were there before them. Took the land, subjugated them. And if there was a group of people willing to sell slaves, people then bought slaves. And there were people in Africa willing to sell their own and to sell slaves, and people bought them. They also bought white people, indentured servants. every group in the history of the world has been subjugated and enslaved at some point. Anyway, E.W. Jackson breaks all of this down in one of the most amazing sermons, hour-long sermon I've ever seen. I'm gonna play some highlights from it and, and, and try to walk you through what he did and then we're gonna interview EW at about 30 minutes and, and you don't wanna miss that. But I, I wanna start where he started, uh, where he starts talking about how this is a spiritual battle we're in in America. He starts initially by quoting the Gettysburg Address and asking the question that Lincoln asked during the Gettysburg Address. Will this unique experiment, will it endure? And then EW explain how we're in a spiritual battle over truth.
3: Is that we are in a profound spiritual battle for the heart and soul of this nation. Now, of course, this plays out in the political world. And it plays out in the cultural world. Plays out in the institutions of our country. But it is ultimately a spiritual battle. Not a political one and not a cultural one, ultimately. And by the way, for those who say, yeah, but you know, I get this criticism, but Bishop Jackson, you, you are so involved in politics and preachers ought to stay out of politics. I tell them, I, I don't think of it as politics. I think of it as prophetic ministry. I think of it as the same ministry that Moses was engaged in when God called him and anointed him and sent him down to Egypt to tell Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. The same ministry that Elijah was engaged in when God called him and anointed him to tell Ahab and Jezebel that they were troubling the land of Israel and that God was going to judge them for it. The same ministry that Nathan was engaged in when he confronted David over his lies and and murder and told the story about the, the little ewe lamb that the poor man had that the rich man took away. And when David heard this story, it touched his heart so much he said, where is that man? That man should die. And Nathan pointed at him and said, you are the man. That wasn't politics. It was prophetic ministry. And it's the same thing that John the Baptist was engaged in when he told Herod, you are sinning against God because you have unlawfully taken your brother's wife. And many people said, John the Baptist, preach the gospel, stay out of politics, would you? But he said, God has called me to bring light to every situation. And it's about time the church realized that you can't hide light behind a, a, a wall or hide it under a basket. You've got to take it into every endeavor in life and you can call it what you will, but the church must speak the truth to these political leaders around this country because if we don't tell them, who's going to?
0: Now, that's just the beginning. I mean, he unpacks all of this thoroughly. And it took, again, this is an hour long sermon. And when I first heard that part of it, I thought of myself and thought of how I avoid politics. But as he continues to unpack this, and this is where the conclusion I've come to in, in terms of like, if, if we don't come together as Christians and, and start flying the Jesus flag and demanding that this country, adhere to some of the values or all the values that were a part of this country's biblical founding. And again, I I get that the people that founded this country were flawed human beings like every other human before and after them and participated in the sins and the subjugation that was commonplace across the globe at that time but anybody that has a rudimentary, a layman's understanding of the founding documents and the principles put in place, this country was founded on biblical principles and we've strayed completely away from those biblical principles and that's why we have a culture in such obvious rot and decay and that's why it's most acute in the group of American citizens that have totally rejected the biblical family structure prescribed by God, man, woman, and child. That's where the cultural rot is most acute. That's where all of America is headed. As I've said on this show, black people are the lab rats we're the Guinea pigs for what the left and the secular and the godless movement have in store for all of America. The same way, the black family structure has been torn apart It's how they want to tear apart the family structure of all Americans. They want to remove all biblical principles from America. And if we don't articulate the argument, take the politics out, take the politicians out and stand on the fact that we want this country to return to biblical values, not Donald Trump values, not Barack Obama values, bib- not Democrat or Republican values, biblical values. We're going to lose this country and we're going to leave this country a hot mess for our kids. I don't have kids, I've talked about. It. Troy has two sons. All of my other friends have kids, young kids, older kids. We're leaving them a hot mess, a hot, a hot, dangerous mess. We're leaving them a culture where a mother would get on TV and basically say, uh, it's a crip thing. I'm gonna let it do what it do. And if my adopted son catches a bullet, well, peace out. That's the culture. We're, and again, that world that has so little respect for life. You're going to leave that to your kids, and they're going to get slaughtered in that environment. And so he moved on to talk about, uh, and this was the nature of his speech, we're not gonna play this exact, because he unpacks it over the course of the sermon, but there are three kinds of lies that are destroying America. Moral lies, intellectual lies, and totalitarian lies. And he talks about the moral lies, about being in abortion. He talks about the intellectual lies, about the educational institutions and the lies they're spreading. And then when start talking about totalitarian lies, he started talking about COVID and forcing these shots down people's throats. But he also just to, because again, he understands family and the role of men he talked about his own upbringing and how he was raised in a foster home from the age of 10. And then his dad came and got him, his real dad, out of foster care. And it completely changed his life, but I'll let him tell it.
3: My father sat me down the first day I went to live with him. He said, son, you've been wanting to live with me. He said, now you're with me. He said, and I want you to know every day with me could be like a day of heaven on earth or every day I will tear you up behind all to pieces. <laughs> and I found out he meant it. And I went from an F student in fifth grade who almost got kept back to being a straight A student in sixth grade. You want to know how I ended up going to Harvard Law School? Because I had a daddy who didn't tell me, America's racist. You can't do anything in America. Who didn't tell me, you're poor. You can't make it in America. My daddy told me, son, you can do whatever you want to do. This is the greatest nation in the world. There is opportunity here. I expect you to get up and go out there and get it.
0: He moved on to break down the intellectual lies, and he's talked about Harvard and Yale and, and what they're doing and how these institutions are imposing these intellectual lies on us. Let's play that clip.
3: And, and it was Harvard, by the way, who came up with this idea that we should no longer refer to pregnant women as pregnant women, we should refer to them as birthing persons. Yeah, that was a Harvard idea, because now we all know that men can have babies. <laughs> you know, you gotta raise your IQ 200 points to get to dumb if you believe something like that. <laughs> Look, Yale University was started by a group of congregational, congregational ministers for the same purpose to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you will find that particularly here in the original 13 colonies, many of the schools that were founded were founded for the purpose of propagating the gospel. They have betrayed their original purpose and they are off doing something that completely violates what the founders had in mind when they started these universities. I mean, Yale University had a meeting recently in which uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom showed up, a young lady, female attorney, representing them to have a debate about freedom of speech. And the Yale Law students had a violent protest. And one of the girls who was a Yale Law student got up in her face and said, I will literally fight you, B. That's Yale today. And these intellectuals are poisoning our country. And what's happening is dangerous. Look, critical race theory comes out of the intellectual community. In fact, it was started by a guy who was teaching at Harvard Law School when I was there, Derek Bell. He came up with this idea of critical race theory. He's considered to be the godfather of critical race theory.
0: Critical race theory, you, know, you hear people talk about it. It's a foundational principle to undermine belief in this country. It's, it's, it's a theory that's being taught in school, and again, we keep having this debate, oh, they don't call it critical race theory, they're not teaching critical race theory. Yes, they are. As they convince you that this country was founded for evil purposes, it's intentional to undermine your belief in this country so that this country can be overtaken by outside forces, particularly China. And he goes on there, what I thought was brilliantly. He, he, he explains what happened to France, the country of France, between World War I and World War II, and how the exact same process is going on Here in America. France was a strong country during World War I. In World War II, not so much, but I'll let E.W. Jackson explain. We were talking about
3: France a little earlier in the green room, and you all know that France fought in World War I valiantly, and of course emerged victorious. But do you remember what happened in World War II? Hitler took over France, in six weeks. And the historians tell us that France had as much armor and as much ammunition and weapons as they needed to defeat Germany. But over the 20 years leading up to World War II, they have been demoralized by people telling them they shouldn't be patriotic, they shouldn't think that much of France, In fact, one famous French scholar, Anatoly France, said, unless we see ourselves as citizens of the world, not citizens of France, we are all doomed. Sound familiar? Because the globalists are trying to tell us this very same thing today. That you know, they're saying the flag is a symbol of racism. And the flag is a symbol of xenophobia. And the flag is a symbol of fascism. And we should not make so much of patriotism, because patriotism, in fact, one of the founders of our educational system, John Dewey, said that patriotism should be denounced as something that was pernicious and did nothing but sow hatred into the hearts of people. That's what academia is giving us. Well, I just want you to know that I stand here as a Marine Corps veteran.
0: So, We've seen the globalist agenda. I talk about it constantly. I talk constantly about LeBron James, the NBA, their relationship with China and how American values and culture is being intentionally undermined so that we are weak and can be overtaken. The man breaks it all down biblically. I, I, I'm, not, I'm playing little excerpts. You've got to watch this entire hour-long deal. The guy is scripturally sound. He's passionate and he ties all of this together in a beautiful, beautiful fashion. We're gonna have him on the show here shortly. I want want to, a couple more things he said, I wanna play before he gets here so that you get him in full and in total perspective because People will hear him talk about patriotism, and they love to talk about this Christian nationalism. And that's the new little slang word the media's throwing around, that if anybody expresses respect for America and patriotism, and and they say anything about being a Christian, that's Christian nationalism, and that's dangerous, and Christian nationalism. And again, the New York Times and all the people propagating this garbage are selling us out to China. They want this country overthrown. And again, you can look at me, you can blame E.W. Jackson, oh my God, y'all just selling this out, and and y'all for the white man. And what I'm trying to explain to you, and what he's trying to explain to you, is if y'all think things are going to improve, the more China has influence over America, you're nuts. You should just kill yourself right now because you're an idiot. You're retarded. You're stupid. You don't deserve to be heard. You don't understand who really hates black people. You need to take your black ass to China and see how they treat you over there as opposed to all the rights and freedoms you have here in America. There's... And we love McDonald's. There are are McDonald's in China with signs up to say, don't bring your black ass in here. We don't serve black people. Maybe if they put a Popeye's chicken in China and put up signs there to say we don't serve black people, maybe then you would get it. but LeBron James and the elites, the billionaires, and the millionaires, they're gonna be fine. They're in that special class of global citizen, but you, the working class, the mass majority of black people, you're going to catch hell, a deeper level of hell than you've ever experienced in your life. It may even be worse than what the Crips and bloods are doing to your neighborhood right now that the left has legalized. Again, I don't want to draw Troy into this whole political thing, but he's California is run by Democrats and they basically legalize criminals preying on their citizens. That's what we were talking about at the top of this show. If you tie it all together, if you go to New York, if you go to California States, controlled by liberals and leftists. They've legalized predators preying on you. There are more rights for the criminals and the predators than there are for the victims in those states. I wanna, because again, (laughs) this is where, when he started bringing it home, he talked about Donald Trump not being his savior. And this is like when it really came home for me. I was like, woo, this dude is on it. He's, he's hitting me in my gut, in my heart. He's compelling me to get involved. Let's play the clip. This is part of his summation when he starts talking about
3: Donald Trump not being his savior. I know Donald Trump is not my savior. Yeah. Donald Trump is not the Messiah. He is a flawed man, just like all others, and he has done some wonderful things in this country and for this country, and I honor that. I respect that. I'm, I'm glad for that, but I'll tell you something, I don't put my hope in Donald Trump. And I don't put my hope in Anthony Fauci and I certainly don't put my hope in Joe Biden. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand because he's the only one who can save from the guttermost to the uttermost. He's the only one with a name that is above every name. And I've got news for you. His name is bigger than the Democrat Party. His name is bigger than the Republican Party. His name is bigger than politics. His name is bigger than anything that comes against us. There is none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved, but the name of Jesus. Do I have a witness here? Every eye will behold him. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. 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 So look, the truth sets us free.
0: I've probably heard his summation. I just heard this on Sunday. I probably heard it 10 times uh, since Sunday and it, it shakes me to my core every time I hear it. Uh, he, he raps with just, it's not part of his rap, but it's the last thing that he said that, that shook me, and it's just a quick 30 seconds of him, and, and this, again, it, it ties into everything I talk about on this show and how they're using race and racial idolatry to impose all of this on us, and he deals with that in just a little quick 30-second sound bite. Let's play that.
3: Wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, this is just the house I live in. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. God made me and saw me before the foundation of the world. He made me to look like what he wants me to look like, but I owe my identity not to my race. I owe my identity to the Lord Jesus Christ. I better get ready to quit. Mm So
0: I, I I don't know if I have done full justice, but I did want to give you a taste of this. I, I suggest and hope we, we will put a link up at the bottom of uh, if you're watching on YouTube, we'll have a link to where you can go and watch the full sermon. It, it's worth I think the broadcast is two and a half, three hours, whatever. But if you go 90 minutes into it, You can see the beginning of the sermon, and then it's about an hour. It's the most amazing thing I've I've ever seen, and it, it convinced me that I have to get involved, you have to get involved in politics, but imposing on politics our Christian values and biblical values, not using Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, or anybody else Our litmus test is like, are you, all of these politicians, whether Democrat or Republicans, are they lining up with our biblical values? Because that's what this country was founded on. That's why this country ascended to the heights that it did. That's why I've been able, Troy's been able to enjoy the freedoms and the success that we have. There's no other place on the planet where any of us would rather be than America. We can talk all that talk and junk that we want. But the facts are none of us want to leave America because there's no greater land of opportunity, freedom and safety for us than here. Now, they're changing that. They're stealing opportunity. They're stealing our safety. They're stealing our way of life. For me. There's no other path for me where I started out. Father didn't graduate high school, mother a factory worker. From where I started out to live the life that I lived and have lived, only here in America, and they're trying to take that away from your kids to have that same opportunity. And we have to draw a line in the sand. E. W. Jackson uh, will be Troy. You got. You look like you got something you want to say. Yeah, because I'm a little
1: confused. It's like, are you? You're saying that that. that the Democrats are ruining it, but it's the Republicans, too, right?
0: All right. I've, I've said exactly that, Troy. Okay, and that's right. what he said, make sure. and he said. He said to make that. sure that I just but I do want to be clear. There is you one defend Trump a lot. Excuse me. You defend the I don't red, defend the, Trump a lot. But again, a lot of the exaggerated word. Okay. Most of this show has Trump never comes up. He's not a, a topic on this show. But Troy, I, I, I want to be crystal clear the stuff the left is doing is satanic. The reason why I'm critical of them is because of my biblical worldview. And the reason I'm hostile towards them is because of my biblical worldview. When you start being pro abortion, when you start being same sex marriage, when you start being transgender and I don't know what a woman is, and it's just a vibe and a feeling, all of this stuff is in direct contradiction to my biblical values. The Republicans are not leaders. On Those issues and that's why you don't hear me as upset with them. Have they sold out to China? Absolutely Okay, that's have have they and I I've talked they've all sold out to China and whatever how much money they can make because again They won't stand firm and call out because they're all in on it together This show talks about it. You don't watch this show a lot, but we talk about the uniparty Royce talks about it constantly and the uniparty is the Democrats and Republicans. They're actually in league and concert together, selling all of us out for the elites. This whole globalist agenda. I get people that get offended and they, they think they're jumping up on the Democrat team and woodlock's car. It's because what they're doing is satanic, and I'm never going back away from that. And I'm telling you is that
1: I find myself with my fraternity brother. Yeah. Uh, when I went back home, they were like. You know, f Jason Whitlock. Why gotcha, are you going? Man. They tried to talk me out of either ever going back yeah. on this show gotcha. ever again in life, mm-hmm. and I had to tell them. I said, "But Jason has a lot of good points, and that's why I was just wanted clarity because you come off as a Trump supporter, as a right, as a I could care less. Right. Yeah, but I'm that's a defender what I'm of Jesus exactly. Christ. If and you
0: watch this show, if people, cuz yeah. and it, that's what I find well, myself doing. Yeah, I know, but but I just want because people love. Oh boy, you defend Trump a lot. No, I All don't. Right. Watch this show. And you'll hear Jesus name come out of my mouth every day a thousand times more than you ever hear Trump's name come out of my mouth. If you watch me on Fox Sports or speak for yourself, Trump's name virtually never came out of my mouth. Jesus, in a biblical worldview, came out of my mouth constantly. But people don't want to deal with Jesus. That's why they hit you with and hit me. Oh, he defends Trump. Trump. Right. Again, because they don't want to talk about it. We've sold out. Any of us that was raised in the church, any of us that have any kind of biblical worldview, we are signing off on things that are alleged religious values are completely and totally against. And I'm calling people out for that. And they're, they don't have a defense. And so, what their defense is oh, he defends Trump. Right.
1: Yeah. And that's why I tell them, I tell it's them, I tell them they have to, t- you, gotta, the time, you gotta, I tell people all the time, you gotta listen to what he's really saying. They are listening. They're
0: not absorbing it then. They, yes, they are. It's they're a defense fight. strategy. They're fighting, yes. They're okay. fighting. It's a defense <laughs> strategy. I talk about it constantly. I'm not under attack. When you hear your friends attack, I'm not, that's not me. They're attacking. And this isn't me trying to hide behind Jesus, but they're actually attacking. It's, the Jesus representation that bothers them. People don't, I did Troy, when I was hanging in strip clubs and trying to bang every young girl I could, I didn't want to hear about Jesus. I didn't want nobody throwing that up in my face. Right. I, I didn't want to have to answer to that. And so same guys, they don't want to answer for them selling out. And again, again this is where I was cause I want to be careful, but This is the access to women for black men. A lot of times is dependent about how they feel about Donald Trump. And and again, it's a way of emasculating us as black men is because we have to sit around and pretend like Trump's the worst thing that's ever hit the planet. And I'm sitting there going, dude, virtually every black dude I know ain't much different than Trump. And before he was president, Trump was falling out of everybody's mouth and name. And if they if if every black dude I know, if they had a choice between going and kicking it with Donald Trump or Joe Biden, I know who they would go and kick it with. So all the, I don't I'm unburdened by that phoniness because I'm not right. married to a black woman and I don't have to answer the one. And I never will. Because, and again, there's a lot of women that don't like me because, again, I'm a patriotic. I'm, they call me a chauvinist pig. I'll accept that but I'm not bowing to the illogic of women. It's not gonna happen, period. And I'll be hated, and maybe I'll be single every day for the rest of my life because of it, but it'll never happen. I I gotta go, because I'm running late now to uh, E.W. Jackson. Uh, Don't go anywhere, get your Fearless Army swag shop, blazemedia.com, slash bishop E.W. Jackson, (laughs) All right, welcome back. Uh, Man, I can't wait to uh, meet and talk with and engage uh, with our next guest. I gotta be honest, I hadn't heard of uh, Bishop E.W. Jackson until Sunday. And then Sunday, I watched a a sermon he gave at uh, Karis Bible College uh, in front of uh, Pastor uh, Andrew Womack. And whoo! I, was, I watched the sermon twice on Sunday, and pr- this an hour-long sermon, and I probably watched it twice within a three-hour period, and then I watched the last 10 to 15 minutes of the sermon, probably five additional times on Sunday, uh, watched it again on Monday, the summation, and watched the entire sermon again today, uh, this morning, in preparation for today's show, And uh, (laughs) it's one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard. I'm sorry that I'm just learning of Bishop E.W. Jackson. He's the founder of The Call Church and an organization called STAND, staying true to America's national destiny. He's a former U.S. Marine. He's the host of The Awakening with Bishop E.W. Jackson podcast. He ran for the U.S. Senate and a Republican nominee for the lieutenant governor of Virginia. Uh, E.W. Jackson, uh, welcome to Fearless. And uh, it's, it's an honor to have you. And I'm sure you remember uh, the sermon I'm talking about uh, at, at Andrew Womack's uh, Bible College. W- what inspired that? Is that the first time you delivered that sermon? Uh, what inspired that?
3: Well, first of all, Jason, I'm honored to be on with you, and uh, believe me, I am in no way taken aback by the fact that you're just hearing of me. You're probably one among millions upon millions who have never heard of me. So, uh, but thank you for taking notice. I, I'm humbled by the things you have to say about the message. Now, here's the thing. I preached twice at that conference, and so, uh, so there were two different messages that I preached. I'm not exactly certain which one you're talking about, uh, so I might have to be refreshed a little bit on that. But, okay,
0: uh, it, let, me, let me. It started with you mentioning the Gettysburg Address, uh, uh, and 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 link and and it it you ended it talking about how Donald Trump's not your savior, and you know you stand up with Jesus in the right.
3: It's it's an incredible I, I, sermon I, I, and. That's very kind of you. I, I, know, I know exactly which one you are talking about. Uh, yeah. Was that the first time I'd preached that particular message? I think I'd preached it one other time. Um, but I really felt led to, to preach it on that particular occasion. Yes. And so what I
0: thought it did for me is, is explain why as a believer, I can't sit on the sidelines as it relates to politics. You referenced that basically we're in the time of John the Baptist, and as believers, we have to get involved, and, and we have to, as much as we may not, because uh, <clears throat> uh, Bishop Jackson, I've never voted. I, I have a disdain for politics and politicians, uh, I, I've, I've always thought I could keep an identity away from politics and just lean into my faith and worldview and use that to get ahead. But you helped me understand, because I've been struggling with this in recent times and years as we've started codifying laws and customs that just completely object to my biblical worldview. And I've been debating, like, how involved should I be w- with politics? And you helped convince me that I got to get involved. We're in a time where we need John the Baptist. We don't need people sitting in churches or sitting somewhere privately preaching the gospel. We got to get out in the street and and have this spiritual warfare.
3: And with that, that sure. And, and it's a theme that runs through many of my messages, Jason, that as Christians, we are people of impact. And that impact needs to be felt everywhere. Um, in every profession, and politics is is a profession, it happens to be the profession that in many ways, more perhaps than any other, other than maybe academia, that shapes our culture. And so for Christians to not be involved is to really leave it to other forces to shape the culture. And man, that's not working out very well right now, given the, the direction in which the culture is going. Uh, So I I think it's more important, perhaps, than it's ever been for Christians to be fully engaged.
0: One of the things you talked about in that sermon was you're seeing Christians back up and backpedal and run away from the gospel. I don't don't think there's a clearer example of that than I've seen. And not to pick out anyone, but these are the names that just come to mind. I'm seeing Raphael Warnock call himself a pro-choice pastor and and i'm just like how did how do you even have the option i don't as a i don't have an i don't have an opinion on this god has an opinion on it it's over and settled how can you
3: be a pro choice pastor well look i think we are living in an age of apostasy i think we're living in an age where people call themselves christians but they really haven't had an experience with jesus christ and they don't understand the value that, therefore, they don't understand the value that God places on life. You know, I, I do a radio talk show, which you alluded to on American Family Radio, and I get calls every day. In fact, I got calls today about this. And one of the things that people said, you know, they've often said to so-called pro-choice or pro-abortion people is, well, what if you'd have been, you had been aborted? Would that, would that have been okay? I mean, does life not mean anything to you that now that you you have it, you've lived it? Uh, don't you see the moral implications? Look, I was born into a broken home. I was raised in foster care until I was ten years old, but man, I thank God every day of my life that Planned Parenthood or something else didn't get a hold of my mother and say, well, you know, there's no need in having this because this child is not really worth worth the time and energy since you and your husband are breaking up, you're going your separate ways, and life is sacred and. And you know, we don't know what God might do with particular people. So how dare we take it upon ourselves to play God and determine, no, this person's life is not worth it and uh, it won't amount to anything or is inconvenient for me. Uh, and therefore, we'll we'll just get rid of that one. I mean, man, it, it, is a, it is a monstrous way to think. For somebody to think that way and claim to be a Christian, To me, those are, those positions are irreconcilable. Either you're a Christian who understands that God places a sacred value on life or you're something else. Now you may be calling yourself a Christian, but you're clearly not a Christian who understands the value of life as God teaches it to us in his word.
0: Uh, Pastor Jackson, how is your message being received among black Christians uh, are, are, they, are they hearing you or are they letting their political affiliation uh, cloud what they're hearing?
3: Well, I've been at this, preaching this way, probably now for 40 years or close to it. And I, I would say over the period of time I've been doing this, I've seen a lot of different reactions. I have to tell you, I've met many people who have said to me, I, I listened to your message and it changed my perspective, kind of similar to what you said. Although, you know, your your ideological perspective hasn't changed just in terms of thinking about why Christians should be involved in the process. But I've had others say, you know, I've been voting Democrat, I've been so, sort of going along, and I, I listened to what you said and it convicted me. I hadn't really thought about it that way. I just was kind of doing it because this is what black people do. Um, And I'm finding more and more rank and file people who are examining what the left has to offer, more of your children aborted, more of your children killed in the streets, more family breakdown, poor education, and realizing, well, wait a minute, something is not adding up here. You know, as I said, Abraham Lincoln said, you can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And I'm finding that black folks are waking up all over the country, not as quickly as you or I might like, but I really believe it's happening because they're measuring reality against the rhetoric that they're hearing and the two are not matching up. And I think people want something better for themselves and their children and voices like yours and mine, I think are voices that people are increasingly wanting to hear.
0: Pastor Jackson, this show is called Fearless and the role of this show we're dedicated to trying to inspire men uh, to rise up and take on the responsibilities given to them by God. And, and I try to explain on this show that black men are in a unique position. We're, we're uniquely caught between a rock and a hard place a lot of times because the left has built a very matriarchal culture for black people. And our, our culture is dominated by women. It's dominated by female leadership. And as I was explaining to uh, my, my friend Troy here, who's in studio with me today, and I was explaining to the audience today, is like, there's like a litmus test if a, a black man, if you want access to a relationship with a black woman, you must hate Donald Trump, you must disavow any Republican uh, politics, you must disavow being a conservative, and then you can have a relationship with a black woman. And, and I'm wondering, am I exaggerating that? Uh, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating that, but I, I do think th- this matriarchal culture that they built for us uh, has emasculated the black man, and it's harder for him uh, to stand up and stand on what he believes and what the Bible teaches him to believe if he wants to have a relationship with the black woman.
3: Yeah, look, I, I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right in spirit that has been an attempt to emasculate black men. Um, and now we're in a culture where there's an attempt to mas- emasculate men in general. I've often said don't ever think that this movement stops with the black community because they're after the whole culture. Uh, But it seems that the black community is often in in the forward position of these very negative pathological cultural influences that tend to grip us. But, you know, I I think of it this way. Um, People have criticized me because I, I happen to be a Republican, but I tell them I didn't learn conservatism from the Republican party. I learned it from a proud black father who took me out of foster care when I was 10 years old and taught me what it really meant to be a man. Taught me things like, you are responsible for your own life. You are responsible for your own decisions and you will bear the rewards and you will bear the consequences. And I don't don't expect you to fail. You go out there and you do what you need to do. Go over, under, around through any obstacle that gets in your way. I was never taught that white people are your problem. I was taught if you got a problem, it's primarily you. <laughs> so get at it, go do it. And so that, that's where my conservative attitude comes from. I mean, a father who was a single man who took a 10-year-old boy, his son, uh, into custody because he saw I was in trouble. I was had become a street kid. I was rebellious. I was angry. I was bitter because my parents weren't raising me. And what's wrong with me? And, and and took me under his wing and gave me an entirely different perspective on life. And so I tell people I didn't join the Republican Party. I found that the Republican Party joined me. That it was it was consistent with the values that I had been taught. And since I wanted to be in some ways politically active, I wanted to be a part of a party that was in fundamental agreement with my views. Now, here again, just like I said about Donald Trump, I don't see the Republican Party as the be all and end all, because it's not ultimately about a party, it's about principle, and not ultimately about race, but about righteousness. But we ought to, to, as Christians, seek, the Bible says, how can two walk together except they be agreed, right? We ought to seek to walk with people who agree with us. And have I been excoriated for being a Republican? Sure, I have. But like you, the name of your program, Fearless, I don't care. Because as long as I know I'm standing up for what the Lord would have me stand up for, uh, I, I really don't care. As, as the old preachers used to say, you don't have a hell to send me to or heaven to put me in. God does. He's the one I'm trying to please. And I'm just going to keep doing that. But I'm finding more and more, Jason, men On my radio program, I get calls from black men every week, not necessarily every day, but every week in complete agreement with me. They're out there. They don't have a platform, and maybe they have to watch who they say what they think to, but they're out there. And I think that, here again, people like you and I are giving them cover and helping them to come out of the closet, so to speak, and uh, and stand up for what they really believe.
0: The other thing that was represented in your sermon is you have a deep understanding of American history. Uh, I mean, you're quoting the Gettysburg Address off the top of your head. Uh, and but, but you tied all this historical perspective together in a way that really hit home with me because I argue on this show constantly that uh, the African American journey The black journey, I'm like you, I'm a little reluctant with the African American thing, but the black journey here in America explains America's rise and success. That black people's fight for freedom here in America is what made America great. It put America on steroids. It made America live up to its best ideals, expressed in the Declaration of Independence, codified in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. We, from Richard Allen going all the way back to the African Methodist Church, to Frederick Douglass, to uh, uh, Booker T. Washington, we, to Martin Luther King, we kept telling America, hey, you gotta live up to these things in your founding documents and that kept making America embrace freedom more and more and live up to its best ideas. And so that's, I look at the 1619 Project that you took some time to dissect, Hannah Nicole Jones and all of that, but they're perverting history and mischaracterizing our history and our role, we should be beating our chest on the 4th of July, we did this. From Crispus Attucks on that, we did, America couldn't have happened without us. We would have never risen to the heights that we did without us demanding that you live up to these ideas and these founding documents. Again, You didn't express it that way, but you have a deep understanding of that and that was one of the things I really appreciated.
3: See, I really believe that the formula that is America was designed by almighty God. And I, I, as I've said many times, I don't know whether I said it in that particular message. Acts 17, 26 says he has made from one blood all nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and determine our pre-appointed times and the boundaries of our dwellings. I'm sure you know this. Probably most most Americans of African ancestry don't, but of the 10 to 12 million Africans who left uh, the continent in the diaspora that was created by the slave trade, only 450,000 came to this continent. Only 450,000 were brought to what we now know as the United States of America. A unique sliver, a small sliver, of the millions that left Africa And you're right. We brought something to this country that it desperately needed. And you said it so well. We brought into bold relief the real meaning of freedom, which is one of the reasons why this country, unlike other countries that have had slavery, and many many of which still have slavery, by the way, declared slavery to be immoral, to be inherently wrong. It was because of us that they had to come to grips with the fact that, wait a minute, this is inconsistent with who we claim to be. And you're right, the, the conscience of this nation is enunciated in the Declaration of Independence. In every generation, there were people saying, something's not right about this. <laughs> this, is, this, this can't, and it was continually calling people back to this relatively small group of people that I really believe ultimately were not placed here by slavery, but by the providential hand of Almighty God, who became the seed for a true understanding of what freedom, what liberty looks like, which just to to end this really quick, I say, black folks, you're right, ought to be the, the, the principal voice for liberty in this country because we know based on our ancestral background and our history, we know what it is for people to actually be completely without freedom, and now we experience it, and we ought to be embracing it and <laughs> hailing it and thanking God that we live in a country that declared we are inherently free and made so by Almighty God.
0: And Pastor Jackson, I thank God for you, and and I'll, I'll end it with, One other statement I want you to react to, and it's it's just part of my overall argument about, and and narrative about this country and how we contributed to making great, and I'm talking about in particular the black man, and so when I heard your sermon, I was like, E.W. Jackson represents everything I'm talking about. He's a moral compass, and that has been the role of the black man in America from its inception. We've been this country's moral compass and i don't think it's by accident that they have given us a corrupted perverted culture and called it black because they're trying to destroy america's moral compass and if we really understood our american history we would reject that because again our role has been to serve as america's moral compass and that's why i was so inspired by your sermon i was like Here's a moral compass, a wow. big, loud, proud, intelligent, <laughs> articulate, uh, passionate, on fire for Jesus. We got to have that if we're going to survive.
3: You, you know, if, if I may say one of the things I just reread uh, recently, um, Booker T. Washington's Up From Slavery, and I've often said, you know, in many ways, people attribute slavery to somehow creating this country. I said, but in many ways, slavery was a curse on this country. And people don't realize Booker T. Washington was one of the forces that contributed to the notion that the work ethic was uniquely American and something that we should celebrate. Because what he found was when he started Tuskegee was that slavery had created in the minds of people that hard work meant to be a slave. And Booker T. Washington had to teach the entire country, no, work is apart from slavery. There is dignity in it as a free person. You are not working as a slave, you are working for yourself, for for the benefit of your family, for the benefit of those around you. That's entirely different from slavery because he found that there was a lot of feeling that, well, if I go out and I'm working hard, that's like being back in slavery. And a lot of people, even including some of our white fellow Americans, took that attitude that, well, you know, hard work is for them. And Booker T. Washington, he completely flipped the script and said, no, hard work is is a man's job and it's something that brings dignity and self-respect. And so you're right, we have contributed to the ethic, the moral and cultural, the best of the moral and cultural ethic of this country in ways that most people don't even realize.
0: EW, thank you so much for the time. I hope uh, we can get you back on again. I hope that we can perhaps have some synergy between Fearless and your organization, Stand, uh, because I I think we have the same goal and I just want to be an asset to you and what you're doing. And, and gonna keep you in my prayers uh, because you, you're at the embodiment of what this country needs and what this culture needs. Thank you so much for the time. All right, uh, Troy, I'm gonna give you the uh, final wow. word. Wow. Uh, on, or, or we'll have the final words on this. Uh, I well, I you just, gonna go back and say to your boys, Make sure your boys watch make show. it. Oh, I'm making sure.
1: I want to get a clip of this so I can send it to people <laughs> like here. This is what I'm talking about. You know, this is what my boy cuz I always like I told you, I always defend you. And uh, wow, that was powerful. I can't wait. I said I can't wait to fin- so I can see the whole sermon.
0: You you the whole sermon is amazing and I'm sure uh he's got other sermons that I will Reach out and, and look up and, and discover. But, uh, Troy, are you gonna come back tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll you'll be, be, time you'll time be here I'm tomorrow. Here. I'll a little less here. bling tomorrow, Troy. Okay. Uh, All right. <laughs> 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 no. yeah, do, want, want do you? I don't want
1: nobody coming to my house trying to, trying to rob me. <laughs> they not coming. They
0: they, they they not. Won't happen in Nashville. Although <laughs> I guess you know I do live on a dangerous street. <laughs> right, all those bars right there. <laughs> I got all the bars and nightclubs. Anyway, go ahead and play tomorrow. Uh, we'll see you
3: tomorrow. No negotiation, my system, no relation We all just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been on i break my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free We want freedom I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I i